We're going to be taking a break this morning from the First Thessalonians series and uh, turning instead to the topic of the obedience of faith. Uh, in many ways, this, uh, this sermon has been in development for about 10 years. Okay, and so that's how far back this, uh, this particular piece goes. But I'd like to begin by looking at the passage in Romans chapter 1 and verses 1 through 5. And you find that we're going to begin with the context of uh, beginning at verse 1 in order to set up what we see in verse 5. Is that working? Okay. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now we see in this passage, according to the Apostle Paul, that the purpose of his ministry was to bring about the obedience of faith for Christ's glory among all nations. That is the ultimate goal of the gospel, to bring about the obedience of faith for Christ's glory among all nations. Now, in order to understand how certain passages fit into the plan and purpose of God, we have to uh, take note of the idea that you have to rightly divide the word of truth. It's a sword by which we rightly divide the word of truth. If we apply certain passages that describe us in our uh, pre-converted condition uh, and attribute those passages uh, to our post-conversion condition, we create all kinds of confusion. For instance, in the Old Testament, we're told that our hearts are deceitful above all things, and who can know them? And sometimes we take that verse and we carry it to the other side of our conversion experience, and we don't really rejoice in our salvation because we think we're still stuck back there in that description of our heart. But remember that the entire purpose of the gospel is to give us a new heart and a new spirit and the Holy Spirit. And so although we are certainly capable of being deceitful and sinning and being deceived, we do not have an utterly wicked, deceitful heart anymore. We have a new heart. Now, that's, that's just to illustrate the point. Now, in the New Testament, we have two different scenes that we need to keep clear and separated. The first of those is the courtroom scene. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, we read, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have, ha we, 
also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, one of the unfortunate things about having thousands of years of religious tradition is that we begin to take these phrases and we turn them into something like, you know, if you go into a particular industry and that industry will have its own jargon, right? And that jargon begins to get kind of calcified so that we're using all these acronyms to describe things and all these phrases that we don't stop and think about because the assumption is everybody knows what we're talking about. But one generation after another, we don't know what you're talking about. Unless we go back and, and redefine and, and, and dig up the original meaning of these phrases, we can carry around, around in our mind what, what is called a glittering generality that is so, is so beautiful. It's, it's like a gem that we never really stop and ponder. And so when we read here that we're justified by faith, of course, you know, we think of Martin Luther, we think of the Reformation, we think of peace with God. That's another phrase that we can throw around. When we look at this idea that uh, we are in the hope of the glory of God, well, who knows what that means, but it sounds good. But these phrases all mean something. And so what we have access to in this passage by faith is God's gracious offer to adopt us into his family where he will then begin to train us as his children to be conformed to the glorious image of one who is now our older brother in the family of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is what is inside these passages or these phrases that we see in Romans chapter 1, or chapter 5 and verse 1. Now, let's look again at Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. Uh, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Now we switch to another scenario. No longer in the courtroom where justification is needed, but now we are in the family room of God where we are going to now be interacting with our Father in ways that correspond to way, the way a, a normal human father interacts with his own sons. So we are now sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. God is no longer your judge in that sense, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Do you see the switch? We are no longer standing before the judge of all the earth because Jesus has died for us, died in our place. We now stand before God justified by faith alone. And that justification has now opened the door of access for us to step into the living room of God's family. And so the purpose of the courtroom scene of God's justification is to allow us into the family room of God's fatherhood where we will now be progressively sanctified. It's not over 
in a, in a flash. It's a process by which we are, by God's kindness and his discipline, allowed to and required to grow up. Grow up into Christ. So, though justification by faith in Christ is the end of the law as a means of achieving our, any righteousness of our own, it is not the end of the process of training us how to behave ourselves in God's family. See, again, if we don't rightly divide the word of truth, we might misunderstand the process of God's sanctification as though it was somehow adding to our justification. It's not. You're, you're saved by your faith alone. Now what God is doing is growing you up to become more like Christ. And so in Romans 10, 4, we read, for Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness' sake, not for all sake, but for righteousness' sake to everyone who believes. The law still has its role, as Paul tells us elsewhere, as a tutor, as to help us understand what's pleasing to God. We see the wisdom of God expressed in the law of God. And we can benefit from that wisdom, but we need to be careful not to think that when we begin to make use of the law as a means of wisdom, that it's somehow adding to our justification. The courtroom scene's over. Christ has died once and for all. And now we are saved by grace through faith. And so in Hebrews 12, verse 7, we read this passage, which again is a family room passage. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? You know, we were talking the other night at the Canegis about how uh, you don't go out and spank the neighbor's kids because they're not your kids. You know, they might do things that deserve a spanking and you might stand there and nod and go, man, that kid needs a dad really badly. But your own kids, they do the same thing, and they get spanked. So how do you know whose family you're in? By who spanks you, <laughs> okay? God spanks his kids. God deals with us in discipline, and that's how we know we're in his family. If we're able to continually live in sin without repenting, and nothing ever happens, then we need to ask ourselves, am I in the family of God or not? You know, go to God and say, God, why are you neglecting me? I need discipline. <laughs> How many kids ask for discipline? Hebrews 12, verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. That is a divinely inspired understatement, okay? No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, the righteousness that's in view here is the result of God's training, okay? It's not a righteousness that adds to our justification, but it is a right relatedness that results from growing up in the family of God. So, the training is part of what it means to be walking in the obedience of faith. It's not for our justification, but only as a means of our sanctification. And that is a progressive uh, thing. It does not happen quickly. It happens over the course of a lifetime. And God is 
training us to live with him forever in heaven. So lest we miss his point, the Apostle Paul closes his letter to the Romans with the same phrase. Isn't this interesting? Look at Romans 16, verse 25. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God, what? To bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now when an apostle opens and closes his gospel, we better pay attention. He's got the same phrase. It is a reference to the obedience of faith. And, and this is because the phrase sums up the entire practical consequence of believing the gospel. Now, I'm not saying it, it sums up the eternal, heavenly, you know, all the rest, but I'm saying in terms of this life, in this world, this phrase, the obedience of faith, sums up the practical consequences of believing the gospel. And by believing the gospel, I mean believing the gospel and not taking that for granted. So let's take a look at a few passages here. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. We live by faith in Galatians 2.20. We walk by faith in 2 Corinthians 5.7. We give by faith in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. We speak by faith in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13. And whatever is not of faith is sin. That's pretty strong. This all adds up. In order to unpack this doctrine and to plant it as deeply as possible in our hearts and minds, I would like to teach you a song. And so for the remainder of this message today, I'm going to be teaching you a song, if that's okay. Now, I've seen John Piper do something like this before, so I'm on solid ground, okay? So here is the first part, and I'm going to teach you a little bit of the melody here as we go through. And uh, at the end of the message, we will sing the whole song through together, okay? (laughs) Here we go. In goodness and in wisdom, Lord, your glory was displayed. Creation's voice declared it through the wonders you had made. Your garden granted paradise through fellowship divine. To know you and enjoy you was the purpose of our lives. Can you try singing that with me? In goodness and in wisdom, Lord, your glory was displayed. 
Creation's voice declared it through the wonders you had made. Your garden granted paradise through fellowship divine. To know you and enjoy you was the purpose of our lives. Very good. We read in Psalm, one, Psalm 19 and verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. And so in the Garden of Eden, we see that the creation is shouting the reality of God's, not only his existence, but his magnificence, his power, his greatness. But then we continue. The original innocence of mankind did not rest on obedience to any law. This is where I disagree with some of the theologians who have said that at the very beginning, mankind was under law. A single law, thou shalt not eat of it, thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as though their acceptance by God rested upon their obedience to that law. I challenge that because what caused them to disobey was the sowing of a seed of doubt in their hearts which then caused them to take an action. And so what is going on there is not the disobedience of a law, but the doubting of the very character of God, the goodness of God. So here we have Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see what's going on here? Satan is sowing a seed of doubt. We could say he's firing, a, uh, he's shooting a fiery dart of doubt at Eve. And she succumbs to this doubt. All disobedience toward God is an expression of doubt in our hearts that he is really good, that he really has our best interests in mind. And so the initial sin was the sin of doubt. And so we have the second part of the first verse of this song. But then a fiery dart of doubt was loosed from Satan's bow. God is not good, for he withholds what all should surely know. Our hearts were hit with disbelief, in defiance we disobeyed, and fell from the obedience of faith. Adam and Eve believed Satan, that there was something better than the will of God for their lives. And that disbelief, that doubt of God's character, his goodness, was the sin that came before the sin of disobedience. Doubt results in disobedience. Faith results in obedience. 
Do you see the, the switch that takes place here? And so the results of this come to a very sad initial chorus. And thankfully, this, this chorus is only going to be sung once in the song. And from there on, we have a better chorus. But it goes like this. Oh, Lord, we doubted you that you are good and wise. Oh, Lord, we doubted you, believing Satan's lies. Oh, Lord, we doubted you and hid ourselves away. We fell from the obedience of faith. Let's sing this one together so you know the chorus tune. Oh, Lord, we doubted you that you are good and wise. Oh, Lord, we doubted you, believing Satan's lies. Oh, Lord, we doubted you and hid ourselves away. We fell from the obedience of faith. Misery and death are the results of the disobedience that sprung from the doubt and disbelief in the hearts of Adam and Eve. But then we come to the good news concerning Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God. You're welcome to sing along if you know the tune. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sin and shame. Paid for by your blood sacrifice, vouchsafed by your great name. You canceled debts to justice due, God's wrath you fully borne. Upon the cross at Calvary, by nail and spear and thorn. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross paid for all our sins, past, present, and future. We have no need to be afraid that at some point in the future we're going to sin in such a way that we will lose our salvation. What keeps us saved is our faith. And that faith is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. And there, so there is no basis for us to boast that we are saved by anything of ourselves. We are saved entirely by his doing. And so we come to the resurrection and what this resurrection accomplishes is that it banishes every doubt. And we see that over and over in the New Testament, that the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. But then the silence of your tomb was broken with a shout. You rose victorious from the grave to banish every doubt. Our hearts once dead in disbelief approach your throne of grace to live in the obedience of faith. The resurrection of Jesus is the only basis for our confidence that he is in fact the Son of God and that his sacrifice on our behalf was accepted by God the Father as full payment for all of our sins so Christ's resurrection is the key to the gospel. It is the foundation, as Romans 1, 4 tells us. And he was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Do you see how clearly that's stated? In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 14, 
And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. It doesn't get much clearer than that, does it? The foundation of our faith is in who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for us by dying in our place on that cross. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, our faith would be in vain, and we would still be without hope. And so this truth results in a wonderful new chorus. Oh Lord, we trust in you that you are good and wise. Oh Lord, we trust in you rejecting Satan's lies. Oh Lord, we trust in you delighting in your ways. We live in the obedience of faith. Every expression of obedience toward God that turns us away from our sin now springs from our trust in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And that is why the Apostle John can write, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. And he, he says a lot more in this section of Scripture than just that, but that sums up what he's telling about what is getting the job done. It's our faith. Now, the new birth is the beginning, not the end of our salvation. And so we have verse 3. Our souls long dead in sin's sad grasp, now stir to life within. Believing, Lord, your gospel bursting free and born again. You pierce the darkness of our hearts. We marvel at your light. These eyes once blind to goodness, now behold with wondrous sight. That sounds so nice. Thank you. The God of this age, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe the gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, verse 3. Appreciate what Luke shared here before we began our worship, of how important it is to have our eyes opened, that we might be able to see the truth, to see the kingdom of God all around us, and then to participate in it. Our salvation, which is by faith, leads to the obedience of faith. And so we have the second part of this verse. For by your resurrection, Lord, your love has made a way for all who put their trust in you to faithfully obey. Our hearts once bound by disbelief approach your throne of grace to walk in the obedience of faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Notice, that's courtroom talk. Not of works, lest we should boast. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's family room talk right there. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You get this picture of God getting up really early in the morning and getting the works he has prepared for us all ready for us to wake up and have at it and go to work. You know, like a good dad, you know, laying out the tools and gathering the wood and getting all the stuff in place and saying, okay, now, come on, get up. I've got it all ready for you. We're going to build a treehouse today, right? And so we repeat the main chorus. Oh, Lord, we trust in you that you are good and wise. Oh, Lord, we trust in you rejecting Satan's lies. Oh, Lord, we trust in you delighting in your ways. We live in the obedience of faith. This doctrine is not new, by the way. Those of you who know the the great old hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. If you really trust, you will obey. That's the way it works. And so the kingdom of God now is introduced, and the kingdom of God runs on generosity. The kingdom of God is the means of God's provision for all of his family. The kingdom of God is the family of God in all of its stuff, okay? And so the result is verse 4. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as heaven above, supplied each day with daily bread, and guided by your love. We show our love for you by loving all whom you have made. Freed by a forgiveness that can never be repaid. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. And so the only way that we can be generous and to give cheerfully is because we have faith in this God who is so faithful in his kingdom to provide for us all that we need. We are able to give cheerfully and joyfully because we know that God is taking care of us. And so the second half of this verse. And now, as our great King of kings, your love has made a way for all who put their trust in you to cheerfully obey. Our hearts, once gripped by disbelief, approach your throne of grace to give in the obedience of faith. The only giving that truly pleases God is that giving which is given by faith in his ability and his willingness to provide for us. Anything else would be foolish. Now, is it okay to give in order to receive? Now, some people have abused this idea to the point that it's made it almost toxic. And you have people say, well, I'm not giving in order to get. Well, let's take a look at what the scriptures say. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure 
pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you again. Now we've all heard this verse used in order to appeal to people by some television evangelist to send money in to support uh, his or her ministry. And the result has been that it's something that many evangelicals and Reformed churches have backed away from the whole idea that you would ever give in order to receive something. And yet Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6. We also see in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, in the context, we realize in Matthew that the way that you lay your treasures up in heaven is by giving them away here on earth. You give them to meet the needs of those around you. And for, in fact, we read in Luke chapter 16 and verse 9, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That's your stuff, that's your money. That when you fail or when they fail, they may receive you into an, e- an everlasting home. Now, this phrase is translated as eternal habitations. Where is that? Where are any eternal habitations? We're talking about heaven. You're to use the money you have now to lay up treasure in heaven. And when you get to heaven, all the people who have come to Christ because of your generosity with your time and your energy and your money, they're going to be wanting to have you over. We're going to have a, have a, a, a big celebration as all the people who came to Christ through your ministry and those who came to Christ through the ministry of those that you've brought to Christ are all going to, it's going to have to be a big eternal habitation there and they're going to be there to thank you. Thank you for giving. As the, a wonderful song goes, I'm so glad you gave. It made such a difference. So my point here is giving by faith is not divesting yourself of what you own. It's rather investing what you own in a more secure instrument of investment. You're investing in eternal treasure as opposed to investing in temporal treasures of this world. So don't try to be more spiritual than God. Okay, (laughs) When he says give... And it'll be given to you, say, hey, that sounds like a good deal. When he says, lay up treasures in heaven, and he says, you'll never lose them. The moth's not going to get it. The rust is not going to get it. Say, hey, that's a good investment. I'm going to make that investment. That is giving by faith. That is the obedience of faith as it relates to your money and your your stuff. I want to have fun with you for a moment. We're going to do a chant. And this is one where I want to get the kids involved. And I can just see people dancing around the room with this chant. Okay, now we got the men's chorus, men's part, and we got the women's part that echoes it kind of, but it's not exactly. So it goes like this. God is good. God is 
good. God is wise. God is wise. God is love. God is love. Satan lies. Satan lies. So, now the latest part is, he's so good. He's so wise. He is love. Lies, lies, lies. <laughs> okay, now I want you to have fun with this. So we'll see how this works. Here we go. God is good. I didn't hear the ladies. Okay. God is wise. God is love. Hate and lies. God is good. God is wise. God is love. Satan lies. One more time. God is good. Ladies, go. God is wise. God is love. Satan lies. Now, Satan denies everything that is true about God. Just get used to that. If it's true, Satan denies it. He is God's enemy. He's an enemy of the truth. He's a liar from the very beginning. And so to celebrate that in this chant, the idea is to just drill it into your head. God is good. God is good. God is wise. He accomplishes his purposes by the best possible means. God is love. And Satan has denied all three of these things. Satan lies. And so let that just sink into your heart. And then we repeat the main chorus. Oh, Lord, we trust in you that you are good and wise. Oh, Lord, we trust in you rejecting Satan's lies. Oh, Lord, we trust in you delighting in your ways. We live in the obedience of faith. Now, there's just one more verse, and that is the verse about evangelism and the Great Commission. This world in dark confusion, Satan's cunning still displays, enticing souls to sin by the corruption of God's ways. But holding forth your gospel, Lord, we wield your spirit sword, releasing to your kingdom all who trust in you as Lord. All authority. Now in the Greek, this phrase, all authority, actually means all authority. You don't need a Greek scholar to figure this one out. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Therefore go and make disciples. Matthew 28 and verse 28. So when we truly believe, then we will speak out. It's not some kind of special gift If you really believe, you will speak out. If you really believe that someday you may see people standing on the other side of the chasm and going to an eternal punishment, and one looks over at you, and you realize he's recognizing you. You you worked together. You lived in the same neighborhood. You saw one another around town. And they're going, what? Why didn't you tell me? 
Why didn't you even mention this to me? Do you really believe that could happen? That the people you see every day could someday recognize you just as they are condemned to an eternal hell. If you believe this gospel, if you believe the truth of eternal glory in heaven and you believe in the eternal damnation of hell, you will speak out. Let's not deceive ourselves about this. It is a lack of faith that keeps us quiet. And so we sing. For now, as our great Lord of Lords, your love has made a way for all who put their trust in you so boldly to obey. Our hearts once mute in disbelief approach your throne of grace to speak in the obedience of faith. And since we have the same spirit of faith According to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore speak. Even knowing we will be beaten, knowing we will be dragged into prison, knowing we will perhaps even be executed as martyrs, we believe, and therefore speak. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 And verse 13, as the angel told Peter and John as they were, uh, as they had a jailbreak, he told them, go into the very place where you were arrested yesterday and speak all the words of this life. Acts chapter 5 and verse 20. And so we come to our final chorus, and this one has a little twist in it. You'll notice as we get to it. O Lord, we trust in you, that you are good and wise. O Lord, we trust in you, rejecting Satan's lies. O Lord, we trust in you, delighting in your ways. We walk in the obedience of faith, and give in the obedience of faith. We speak in the obedience of faith. Our hearts once dead in disbelief approach your throne of grace to live in the obedience of faith. The only obedience that pleases God is the obedience that springs from our faith in God. In Romans 14, verse 23 Paul is writing to the Romans concerning issues of conscience, whether or not to eat certain things or not to eat certain things. And he writes, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. That is, if he eats in disregard for his own guilty conscience. Because he does not eat from faith. That is, he does not eat with confidence that what he is doing pleases God. And that is the context in which we read this statement, for whatever is not from faith is sin. Now I want you to notice that even if the thing that is being done is actually okay, if you believe it's sin, to you it is sin. 
And when you do something that you don't actually believe is sin, even if it actually is displeasing to God, if it's done in faith with a clear conscience, God is not offended by that as much as when we do something that we know is wrong and we do it anyway. See, God can educate you out of the, this misunderstanding over here, but he has to die for you for the other part. Paul even refers to the fact that he was shown some level of mercy because he did what he did in ignorance. Right? So, now the purpose of the commandment, Paul writes to Timothy, is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 1. So now, let's stand and see if we can't sing this song through all the way, even with David's accompaniment. Wow. So here we go. Give us the chord there. In goodness and in wisdom, Lord, your glory was displayed. Creation's voice declared it through the wonders you had made. Your garden granted paradise through fellowship divine. To know you and enjoy you was the purpose of our lives. But then a fiery dart of doubt was loosed from Satan's bow. God is not good, for he withholds what all should surely know. Our hearts were hit by disbelief, in defiance we disobeyed, and fell from the obedience of faith. O Lord, we doubted you that you are good and wise. O Lord, we doubted you, believing Satan's lies. O Lord, we doubted you and hid ourselves away. We fell from the obedience of faith. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sin and shame. Paid for by your blood sacrifice, vouchsafed by your great name. You canceled debts to justice due, God's wrath you fully borne. By on the cross of Calvary, by nail and spear and thorn. But then the silence of your tomb was broken with a shout. You rose victorious from the grave to banish every doubt. Our hearts once dead in disbelief approach your throne of grace to live in the obedience of faith. O Lord, we trust in you that you are good and wise. O Lord, we trust in you, rejecting Satan's lies. O Lord, we trust in you, delighting in your ways. We live in the obedience of faith. Our souls long dead in sin's had grasp, now stir to life within. 
believing, Lord, your gospel, bursting free and born again. You pierce the darkness of our hearts, we marvel at your light. These eyes once blind to goodness, now behold a wondrous sight. For by your resurrection, Lord, your love has made a way for all who put their trust in you to faithfully obey. Our hearts, once bound with disbelief, approach your throne of grace to walk in the obedience of faith. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as heaven above. Supplied each day with daily bread and guided by your love. We show our love for you by loving all whom you have made. Freed by a forgiveness that can never be repaid. And now as our great King of Kings, your love has made a way. For all who put their trust in you to cheerfully obey. Our hearts, once gripped by disbelief, approach your throne of grace to give in the obedience of faith. Here we go now. God is good. God is wise. God is love. Light and lies. God is good. God is wise. God is love. Satan lies. God is good. God is wise. God is love. Satan lies. O oh Lord, we trust in you that you are good and wise. O oh Lord, we trust in you, rejecting Satan's lies. O oh Lord, we trust in you, delighting in your ways. We live in the obedience of faith. This world in dark confusion, Satan's cunning still displays, enticing souls to sin by the corruption of God's ways. But holding forth your gospel, Lord, we wield your spirit's sword, releasing to your kingdom all who trust in you as Lord. And now, as our great Lord of lords, your love has made a way for all who put their trust in you so boldly to obey. Our hearts, once mute in disbelief, approach your throne of grace to speak in the obedience of faith. O Lord, we trust in you that you are good and wise. O Lord, we trust in you rejecting Satan's lies. O Lord, we trust in you delighting in your ways. We walk in the obedience of faith and give in the obedience of faith. We speak in the obedience of faith. Our hearts, once dead in disbelief, approach your throne of grace to live 
in the obedience of faith. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The entire purpose of the gospel is to bring about the obedience of faith for Christ's glory among all the nations. So, let's all approach our own Christian life as an adventure in the obedience of faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We live by faith. We walk by faith. We give by faith. We speak by faith. Let's remember that we are saved by faith alone. Don't let anyone ever confuse you about that. From beginning to end, first through our justification by faith alone in the courtroom scene of God's justice, and then through the obedience of faith alone as our progressive sanctification in the family room scene of God's love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, for the kindness and patience of this congregation uh, to indulge me in sharing this song. And I pray, God, that it would be a vehicle for planting a massive amount of sound doctrine in our hearts and minds. And Lord, may we carry this truth with us for the rest of our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.